Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of Dog Backwards. This is a little bit sooner than I was planning on doing one, but I want to make sure I get at least one out there before my wife goes into labor. We are expecting our third child, a little boy by the name of River should be here. I mean, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. So if I interrupt this podcast halfway through, you'll never know. But uh, I wanted to get something out there as soon as possible to begin some of the conversations that I've been having lately with people. So that being said, let's get started. God is not under any obligation to make me succeed. And this is a recent quote that I heard by Timothy Keller. And it's really true. And it brings up something that I kind of had on my mind. I'm just thinking through and maybe you can think along with me. After my podcast, I had a young lady call me and had she, she was a Christian, considered herself still a Christian, maybe kind of on the way out. I mean, obviously she's listening to an atheist podcast, so she definitely is looking and trying to see, like figure out who has the truth and who doesn't. And she was able to track me down rather quickly. I think she only listened to like the first 20 minutes of the podcast and got a hold of my phone number, which I guess I... I mean, I'm okay with because I want to be accessible. Um, I don't know if I want to be that accessible that quickly, but I was more than glad to have a conversation. And she brings up something that is, A, it's, it's hard to talk about in a podcast like I had with Seth in a short amount of time. And I try to treat this subject as sensitively as, sensitively as possible because it is, it is a real reality that we have to face. She was asking me about my understanding of God and Abraham, and she came at it from this way of being someone who had lost her own kid. And as she began to talk about that, she's obviously struggling because of this event that had happened in her life. How can God still be good when this has happened to me? I as well have lost a kid. Now ours wasn't as old as hers. Ours was through a miscarriage, but that the child had a name. We were excited and expecting. We had told friends and family members. And so when you lose that child, you do lose a child. And I don't let anyone ever tell you differently. But I had to wrestle with this. I mean, because I have this sense of an expectation that God should do for me certain things, like he should keep my kids safe because A, I'm a believer and I work for him. And None of that is biblical. So if you have the wrong worldview or if you have the wrong kind of theology, there's some real serious implications that come after that. If you think wrongly about God and what he is here to do for you, then very quickly that system will break down and it will break up your faith. So I'm titling this episode, Don't Be Angry That Hell Isn't Heaven, because it is something that we forget that this world is not or nor will it be heaven this world is pretty hellacious this world has some really really bad things going on and when we try to put this expectation that uh, good things should happen in this world because we're a christian we're setting ourselves up for failure this is why people sometimes leave the faith Because they lose a loved one and they can't make sense of it. Like, hey, they were a good godly person. Why do good things happen to bad people? But first, I I think 
we should talk a little bit about why we assume these things. And I think it's because the world is so good right now. The Protestants, they had so many kids because so few of them lived. Their kids died a lot. You would have eight or nine kids, and you might have three or four that make it to adulthood. But yet they had this really strong, vigorous faith. And why is it? It's because their expectation of what this world was going to be like, like they truly understood what evil had entered into the world, that it is a bad place in serious need of repair. But our society has improved in such a way that we're almost shielded from just how bad the world is. Our evening news is filled with politics and this celebrity did this or that. We don't go to Ethiopia that often and we don't go to places where children are still dying of starvation or just simply lack of water. We encompass ourselves in this little shell and if we do that long enough, we're going to believe that this world is a little slice of heaven. And if you think it's a little slice of heaven, then you're going to have this expectation that heavenly things will happen. And in heaven, there's no pain, there's no sickness, there's no tears or gnashing of teeth, none of that stuff. It's all good. Well, where do these faulty expectations come from? Well, it comes from a society that is thriving. It comes from Joel Olstein and the prosperity gospel, the American ideal. If you have your best life now, that's sad. If this is your best life right now, then your best life is pretty hellacious. Now, I'm post-millennial. I believe the world is going to continue to get better, but it's going to get better because people will begin to obey the laws and teachings and commands of God. I don't think they're going to get better because we invent new technology. We see we create these wonderful things that are supposed to solve all these problems, and now we see that Facebook and social media causes massive levels of depression and anxiety in kids that these things that should be good are destroying people. And so they have these pros and cons, and this is what happens with man. We create something that is really good, and then all of a sudden we realize it has these consequences we couldn't even comprehend. We try to manufacture heaven, and you can't do it. When you try to manufacture heaven through politics or society, we'll never, a politician will never get you back to the Garden of Eden. He doesn't know the way. This is why we need a Savior. He gets us back to Eden, and He has the ability to overcome something a politician or an intelligent person could never overcome. No technology can overcome the problem of evil. This is something I was thinking about when I was talking with Seth, but I didn't bring it up. If, if um, the atheist worldview was true, and their moral standard is just the betterment of mankind. They, they have a morality that says, hey, I don't like being hurt, so therefore we shouldn't hurt people. I couldn't help but laugh and think of Terminator and Skynet, right? So if you are familiar with the Terminator movies, it was all started like Skynet. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, a lot of science fiction has been built around this premise that we're going to create a technology that will save mankind, And then in that turn, that technology decides that in order to save mankind, it has to eradicate mankind because the problem with humanity is humanity. The reason the world is broken is because broken people. And so the only way to save us all was to kill us all, right? That's the only way for us to achieve maximal satisfaction was to actually end the life. Because if you end all human life, there's no longer the possibility of pain. There's no longer the possibility of suffering. And if there's nothing after this life, then what's the big deal, right? And so 
This is just one scenario that would be true in an atheist morality if you take it to its final end game, the, the final intellectual thought of what their morality looks like. If it's to reduce the amount of human suffering, the best and most efficient way to reduce human suffering is to end humanity. If you end humanity, no more children will be abducted and sexually abused. Right? So, so you could go and make this argument that uh, the best way for an atheist, the most moral thing for an atheist to do, was to prevent people from having any more children and possibly eradicating the entire human world. Now that sounds like nonsense and it's crazy. Uh, it, it's an interesting argument. I'm sure there's about a million holes in it. But this is the world that we live in. It is violent. It has some terrible stuff sent in it, that's said and done in it. Um, the only way home, away from this, is to have Jesus absorb this violence onto himself. You can't overcome violence with more violence. Now, Joel Osteen, Prosperity Gospel, the American ideal that in this world we can have a slice of heaven is not a biblical world. God doesn't owe you anything. That is never the message sent from Scripture. You think that would be clear. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, is what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says this world is going to be hard, and when this world is hard, all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, the world is way too hard. The biblical message is that this world is hell, but heaven is coming. That's the message for this world. This message, it, this world is hell. You live in hell right now. And you can protect yourself a little bit from that hell. You can maybe build up some walls of friendship, some financial stability, and it feels a little less like hell until you get that phone call at 2 a.m. from a loved one that they have the dreaded C word, that they, they, they have cancer and a stage four and incurable. And this idea of control, the illusion of control is totally gone. And you find yourself just wandering, not knowing what it is you're supposed to be doing. That is the reality for many people all day long. We've just been fortunate and blessed enough that we don't experience it every day. There, there are people who live in that hell every day. And that's very consistent with what we've seen throughout history. The history of the world is a pretty hellacious one. There are good things that happen the technology, it's nice, right? It, I, I'm not dogging technology. I'm not going to go live in the shack um, and, and drink river water and plant. You know, actually, it doesn't sound too bad, but I, I'm not going to go do that because I'm not saying technology is evil. I'm just saying for every good thing that we create, there's a negative consequence. And so I would never trust mankind to get me home. We have this ideal. The reason it hurts so bad when we lose a loved one is because we have somewhere within us this idea that these things shouldn't happen. And you're right. They shouldn't happen. We were created to operate differently. We were created to be in relationship with God. And when we were in relationship with Him in, in Eden, we were eternal. Children didn't die. It was going to be healthy. It was going to be utopia. I believe that the reason that so many people are all about uh, socialism these days is because they're trying to get to some kind of utopian society because every single one of us has Eden buried in our heart. We're driving for that. But politics can't get you there. 
we only get back to Eden, we only get back to where we were meant to be, what we could call home. We're all trying to get home. We see that this world is lost and broken, and the only way home is through Jesus Christ. So as this mom, and she's still a mom, you're, you're a mom whether you, you've lost your child or your child is still here, you're still a mom. And in talking with this mom, my heart breaks because it's like, why does God allow this to happen? And I don't want to just jump into apologetic things. When people ask these questions, we should be, this is when you are quick to listen and slow to speak. But this is also a question I ask myself. But if I take the Bible seriously, there's a couple of things that I know. The God that I worship is the only God who knows what it's like to lose a son. He knows that pain, right? God himself takes on human form and then dies in our place. So he has experienced that in whatever metaphysical way that the Trinity experiences those things. He has. My God's been there, done that. Now, that's an incredible claim because then I have a God who is sympathetic to this pain. They say, well, why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he stop it? Well, I'll get there in just a second. But the other thing, when as I listen to this parent, is that we are motivated by this pain and suffering that we go through. Like, I don't want to say motivated, but we are moved by this suffering to say, well, God, how can you be good and allow this to happen? But how can we, we say that when the expectation that Jesus gives is that this will be hell? That apart from him, the fullness of him that we experience in the Garden of Eden, apart from him, we are going to experience a level of hell in this life. Now, if you're a believer, your worst day on earth is as close as you get to hell. Right? Your worst day is as close as you'll ever get to hell. Seth Andrews, let me play this clip real quick. Well, you know what? Forget it. I don't have time for clips. Um, I'm just making this as short as possible. He goes through and he begins to elaborate. He's like, you know what? I, I've got friends. I've got meaning. I've got purpose. I've got all that stuff. That is as close as he'll get to heaven. And that's sad because it's, it's like this bubble that we've created around ourselves. And Christians have done this really well. We've created Mardell's as our Christian Walmart. We have our Christian restaurant, Chick-fil-A. We have our Christian t-shirts. We've gone to great lengths to protect ourselves from hell. And I just had that conversation that I talked about on the podcast uh, with a friend who works in NICU and saw a child die. And I do believe that God takes free will so seriously that he says, you know what, because you've entered into this part of reality that is distant from me, that there will be hell to pay. Now we say, well, why, why doesn't he stop these deaths from happening? Well, God has stopped death from happening. The fact that any of us are here means he has stopped death from happening. The consequence for sin has always been death. And that sounds violent, but we have to remember death comes as separation from God. God is a source of life. He is a creator of life. And I'm not equivocating. I'm not trying to simply justify, but this is consistent with what scripture says. Our worldview is consistent. It says that the consequence of sin is death. Death just comes from being, you know, it's like separating ourselves from oxygen. Eventually, you're going to die because you've separated from yourself from the source of what gives you life. Well, what gives us life is God, and we willingly separated ourselves from Him. Now, God has, God has gone to great lengths 
to move us back home. And he does it at these small increments. It's like going to the chiropractor. You get an adjustment, an adjustment, an adjustment until the spine is correct. God is making these adjustments. You might not be okay with how long it takes. You might not be okay with how he's doing it. It's okay to wrestle with those things. But it is at least consistent with the biblical description of who God is. Ever since we left the garden, there was hell. Ever since we walked out, I mean, that walk out of Eden is the Green Mile. If you've seen the Green Mile movie with Tom Hanks, it's about the death penalty, and it's that walk from your prison cell to the execution chamber. And that Green Mile is a walk to somebody's death. As Jesus is walking them out of the garden, he's walking them to their death. But he does something when they recognize that they are shameful and sinful. He makes a sacrifice to cover their shame, even though he would have been fully justified to just kill them. God, the giver of life, would have been fully justified to kill Adam and Eve. The Lord give and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is his creation and it is his right. But God knew that was going to be the side effect of free will. If he did not give us free will, we would never be able to have a relationship with God. If I had the ability to hypnotize. My dad was a hypnotist, and he used to travel around and do magic tricks and hypnotize people. And he says there's a word he could say that would make my mom go into a hypnotic state, and he could make her turn off the light. So like, if he was watching TV and he wanted her to get up and turn off the light, he could say the word and then give the command, and she would do it. Now, he would never tell me what that word is. I wanted to know. I was like, please tell me that word. There's so many ways I could use that to get out of stuff. Um, but of course she's like, you can never ever do that again. Cause one time she came to, and she's up here like, why am I turning off the light? And it doesn't matter if you believe in hypnosis or not, but, um, can you imagine if you had the ability to hypnotize somebody and you wanted somebody to be in love with you? And so you could say a few magic words. And when they awoke, they had no choice, but to fall in love with you. They would never actually love you or you would never know if they truly loved you or not. God created us because he loved us. He didn't need to create us. I had kids because I wanted to have kids. Now, they have the total ability to reject me as their parent, but that doesn't mean I, just because they have that ability doesn't mean I shouldn't have kids. There's the potential in every single one of my kids for them to go horribly wrong. I, heaven forbid, but I could have a kid who is a axe murderer, right? If I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to guide and teach and instruct them, but they could choose to do whatever they want. They have that capacity. And so when they love me and they tell me that they love me, it's not just because their DNA is programmed to, for nurturing and they, they have no choice but to love me. That would be a naturalistic atheist uh, reasoning for why kids love their parents is they had no choice, right? And when you miss your kids, it's because you had no choice. You were just um, atoms banging around. You're nothing more than stardust. And when you die or your kids die, the universe really doesn't care. It's totally indifferent. It's indifferent to your life. And any kind of purpose you create is manufactured. It's, it's not purpose. It's an illusion you've created to keep yourself from going insane, Right? It's just how you're trying to cope. But we as Christians, we don't have an illusion. We have hope. And it's hope that's solidified in the person of Jesus Christ. 
One last thing before we go. Like I said, this is a quick one. I just kind of wanted to get these thoughts and ideas out there while they were on my mind. Um, do you think you can think your way to the truth? Or do you think you feel your way there? There's a Star Trek episode where Spock meets his brother. They talk about the differences. I can't quote it verbatim, but he's talking about, you know, you always believed you could think your way to the truth, and I chose to feel my way. And when you talk with an atheist, oftentimes there's this illusion that they thought their way to the truth, that they used to be unreasonable, and now they're reasonable. They used to be blind, but now they see, right? And they've thought their way through it. But it, it tends to happen, and I know the case is the same in Seth. The thing that sparked his search was an emotional thing. And many of us, we try to feel our way to the truth. But I don't think you can do either one. I, I don't think you choose to think your way to the truth or you choose to feel your way to the truth. I think it's a combination. And that's because truth is a person, right? And so my relationship with my wife is emotional and intellectual. It's a combination of both. And so we do a disservice to just discount any feelings that you might have had. But it also gives us hope for when our feelings lead us astray. So like if I'm really struggling or doubting, I have the intellectual foundation of the historicity of the claims of Jesus, right? So I think the story of Jesus can be historically recreated you can look at Tacticus, Josephus, and Pliny the Younger, and you can take what they said, and you can recreate everything about Jesus. Of course, they reject the resurrection because they are non-believers. If they believe the resurrection, guess what? All of a sudden, they become believers. So you have those historians, and they account for the life of Jesus. They say he claimed to be God. They said he was buried on a cross, and that his believers claimed to have seen him rose again from the grave. And then we have the New Testament, which I'll go into one here, uh, podcast soon, talking about the reliability of the New Testament. And, and we have people who are interacting with eyewitnesses and sometimes eyewitness accounts of those who sat down with Jesus. And it wasn't like they saw Bigfoot, where they just maybe might have seen him out of the corner of their eye. They're sitting down with this man. They're writing certain things during a time when anybody could have gone, wait a minute, um, I was with you that day, and that didn't happen, right? They could have been easily discounted. So they're the, making these very bold claims that could have been discounted in those times. And so there's real intellectual foundation that I can hold on to when my heart emotions might not be there. And so if you've had a tragedy that's happened to you, don't let your emotions guide you to a new truth. Don't just let emotions alone be the deciding factor. I would also say, if you're an atheist or agnostic, don't let your intellect fool you into thinking you can think your way to the truth. Can you imagine if you could merely think your way to the truth and only the smart people, only the most intelligent, would actually know what's really going on? But I know people who aren't you know, quite that bright who say a lot of really profound, truthful things. And so you can't feel your way to the truth. You can't think your way to the truth alone because truth is a person, and we interact with that truth in the same way we would any other relationship. You get to know them intellectually, and you also get to know them emotionally. This is how we relate as human beings. All right, well, I hope that little rambling makes some sense. If not, well, you listen to it anyway, so um, 
doesn't really matter. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to get those thoughts out there. And the main thing that I, I wanted to communicate is don't be angry that hell isn't heaven. Don't be angry that hell isn't heaven. Because this life is hellacious. As Tony Campolo used to say, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It can seem like you've lost everything. In the same way that the disciples felt when Jesus was dead, their mission, their purpose, their entire existence was thrown into question. They disbanded, they left him, they essentially recanted of all of their beliefs, right? They went back to their normal life. It was over with. It was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Jesus is coming back. There is a hope. Thank you guys. Have a great day.